episode 21 sorry for the wait uh i was on vacation not gonna lie to you i was in hawaii and it was awesome uh, but i'm back now and i hope to get this out a little sooner in the week but you know life happens so here we go we're gonna do episode 21 and the topic is loyalty and what we're going to discuss is loyalty as a leadership concept both good and bad uh, we're going to get into that after the history segment. Uh, this history segment is going to be a little long, but I found a pretty great article uh, about the person I'm going to speak about, and I cut out everything that wasn't exceptionally interesting, and it still ended up being pretty long. So I'm going to get right into it, and hopefully uh, you don't fall asleep or tune out partway through this, but I think it's really interesting. I think it's a pretty cool story. Uh, so and I'm talking about Mick Pond, Dwayne Bushy. He never planned to make the Navy a career. It just kind of happened. So one summer's night in 1962, while sitting on a sand dune at Ocean City, Maryland, Bushy told his childhood sweetheart, Susan, that he wanted to go see what was on the other side of that ocean. She didn't understand. Her plans were made to go off to college in September. He had sent in applications, too. She didn't know that during his last month of high school, he had decided to join the Navy and see the world. Where does that leave me, she asked. I'll come back and get you, he promised. Three days later, he and his friend, Paige Pilchard, found a recruiter in Salisbury, Maryland, and joined the Navy. Although he never took a book home to study while he was in high school, Bushy scored high enough on the entrance exam to be guaranteed any A school he wanted in the Navy. He signed a contract with that guarantee. Somewhere around the fifth week of boot camp, he went to see the classifier. My classifier was a great big burly chief, Bushy said. He had tattoos all up and down both arms. I've said over the years that he was a boatswain's mate, but I really don't know what he was. He looked down at me and said, what do you want to be, boy? Bushy had prepared himself for the question by looking at the pictures of all the different ratings in the book the recruits were given, which we all know is a Blue Jackets manual. So I want to be an aviation electronics technician, he answered. Uh, the chief opened Bushy's high school record. He saw some B's, a few more C's, and a lot of D's, but none of what he was looking for. To go into his chosen field, Bushy needed the tough courses he had opted not to take in high school, algebra, trigonometry, and calculus. Why don't you be a sonarman, the chief classifier suggested. I don't want to be a sonarman, Bushy answered. I want aviation. You're too dumb to be an aviation electronics technician, the chief growled. Why don't you be a sonarman? Bushy continued to hold his ground. Finally, the classifier gave him other choices in the aviation field, and Bushy picked aviation electrician's mate. That, too, required more math courses than he had in his school record. The chief said, you're too dumb to be that, too. Why don't you be a sonarman? But Bushy wasn't an ordinary recruit. He had signed a contract with a guarantee. If the Navy couldn't give him what he wanted, in his mind, the contract was broken. After another round in which neither he nor the chief made headway, Bushy decided it was time to take his contract and go home. When he stood up to leave, the chief's eyes opened wide. I didn't tell you to leave, he yelled at the recruit. Where are you going? I'm out of here, Bushy told the chief. I signed a contract in Salisbury, Maryland that said I could be anything I wanted to be in the U.S. Navy. I picked one and you said I couldn't be that. I picked another and you told me I couldn't do that either. I'm going home. I know how to drive tractors, and I got a farm back there, and by God, I'm going back to Salisbury, Maryland. I don't have to put up with this. Bushy got his orders to aviation electrician's mate A school, and for the next several months, he spent long days and nights trying to prove the chief wrong. He was not dumb, and he would not flunk out. I graduated number three in my class, but that chief was right, he said, recalling the incident 29 years later. I had to take remedial math to catch up with everybody else. My rear end is so small because I spent from 10 o'clock at night until 2 o'clock in the morning sitting in the head on the john because that was the only place you could have the lights on at the time of night at that time of night in the barracks. I would go in there and study algebra and trig, a slide rule and calculus, but I wasn't about to flunk out because he told me I was going to. 
Today, Bushy admits that the burly chief probably did the best thing he ever could do for me. Now that I'm more senior, he said, I realize the value in motivating people through that kind of play acting. He certainly made an impact on me. If I was a better artist, I could sit down and draw his face today. I can't tell you his name, but I saw his face every day through A school. The classifier wasn't the only chief who made an impression on Bushy as a young sailor. Recently, when asked by a young petty officer who, in his naval career, had made the biggest impact, Bushy told him it was the chief's community as a whole. My company commander in boot camp was an engineman chief named Lamb, he said. The meanest son of a gun I ever met, but he taught me something that I never forgot. One day, we were waiting to get our dress blues issued. I was standing by my locker, and he walked by. I came to attention, and he looked at me and asked why I was just standing around. I told him I was waiting to get my blues issued. He made me do 50 push-ups. When I was through, he walked off, but 15 minutes later, he came back, and I was standing in the same place. He asked me again why I was just standing around, and I gave him the same answer. He made me do 50 more (laughs) push-ups. Well, we did this about three or four more times, and finally he stopped me and said, You sure aren't very smart, Bushy. Haven't you figured out why you're doing all these push-ups? And I said, No, sir. He said, Well, I'm going to give you a hint. In the U.S. Navy, you never just stand around waiting for something to happen. You make things happen. There's always something to do. Bushy said that lesson stayed with him throughout his career. If I was standing somewhere not doing something, I felt that I was going to have to do 50 push-ups, he said. <laughs> didn't want to do that, so I always found something to do. Comparing today's leadership with Chiefs like Lamb and his classifier, Bushy believes that both were right for the times. It was a different style of leadership back then, he said, but it was effective because young sailors like me feared and respected authority. We didn't ask questions like sailors do today. I'm not saying the way we do it today is wrong. It's just different. Everybody who grew up in society today is different. On June 17th, Admiral Carlisle A.H. Trost announced that he had selected Bushy to be the 7th Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. I feel like the alarm clock is going to go off soon and I'll wake up, Bushy told a reporter for Navy News during a phone interview shortly after the announcement. During early interviews with the media, he listed physical fitness, education, integrity, and quality family time among his personal priorities. He promised to support family programs already in place, to put continuing emphasis on need for childcare facilities, and to place more emphasis on financial planning to help sailors balance their checkbooks. Before taking office, he advocated the use of the direct deposit system in a video for the Navy Accounting and Finance Center. To be a good leader, to give the kind of leadership that this demanding service requires of us, we need to be proactive. We need to be aware of potential problems before they become real problems. We need to address ourselves to causes and not just to symptoms of causes. We need to be wise, knowledgeable, and far-sighted, and then we need to handle all the emergent problems anyway. What we find is that no matter how much wisdom, knowledge, and farsightedness we possess, we cannot lead alone. No matter what we think is the reality of a situation, there's probably another reality on the deck plates, and our people need and deserve leaders who know what that reality is. The way we do that is first to get out on the deck plates ourselves and see what is going on, and second to have people at all levels of command who are, by whatever term we use, the chiefs of the boat who can take the pulse of the command and give us the straight information, perhaps better than we can get it for ourselves. The Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, like his counterparts in hundreds of Navy commands around the world, is chartered to observe and act, not to supersede the regular chain of command, but to strengthen it and make it work better. His or hers are the experienced eyes that can see the reality of the deck plates. His or hers is the persuasive, tactful voice that can give just the right encouraging word to junior or senior alike that will turn a potential problem into a working solution. Indeed, he or she is the pulse taker of the command. The new McPond made a commitment to himself and to the enlisted community to speak the truth. 
I hope people will learn that I'm going to be honest with them, he said in his first interview with All Hands. I'm not going to try to build false hopes. I believe sailors will do anything in the world for you as long as they know why they're doing it. Bushy also promised to listen more than he talked when visiting with sailors. God gave me one mouth and two ears. He said I should do twice as much listening as talking, and that'll be my priority. The fraternization issued issue landed on Bushy's desk shortly after taking office in the form of a proposed instruction. Bushy objected to the wording and made his suggestions for improvement. Pushed by McPond's report of concern in the fleet for a policy statement, the recommendation of a Women in the Navy study report in 1987, and congressional pressure, OPNAV Instruction 5370.2 was finally released in February 1989. In it, fraternization was defined as any personal relationship between an officer and enlisted member which is unduly familiar and does not respect the differences in rank and grade. For the first time in its long history, the Navy had put its custom of frowning on unduly personal relationships among its members, particularly between officer and enlisted, into writing. It also included relationships between senior and junior enlisted, a factor usually overlooked in the traditional policy. On January 29th, 1989, Bushy's own work came to a temporary halt. He was admitted to Bethesda Naval Hospital with a respiratory infection similar to bronchial pneumonia. Uh, though his recovery was more rapid than doctors anticipated, Bushy's travel schedule was put on hold for the next few weeks. During his recuperation on February 13th, Navy Times ran a cover story on the new McPon that had a big impact on its readers and helped to build his reputation as McPon, who tells it like it is. In his first few months in office, the article said, Bushy has stepped on more than a few toes, proving he is not very a, a very political person for someone filling what many fleet sailors see as a very political job. A side article in that same issue featured straight talk from the McPon. On physical fitness programs, he said, I don't think we can back off, and there are some COs that we ought to nail right to the wall. If they'd get off their ass and get on with the program, we'd quit killing sailors. We do not take care of our people when it comes to health. We don't feed them properly. Congress says we've got to have real butter. We've got to have whole milk. They build our ships so that the only way we can cook things is to deep fat fry them or fry them on the grill. Maybe the young kids can take that, but the older people can't. On retention and quality of life, sailors love what they're doing, and they will continue to do it as long as they can maintain a decent living. We don't want a Cadillac. We don't want a five-bedroom house with six baths. We want an old Ford pick pickup truck, and we want an average home. And we want to be able to take mother out and do normal things, go to the movies, have dinner. We've been able to do that. The pay has been okay. On his own job, I was appalled that my office had so much power and that people had so much respect for the office that every little single thing I said in that trip report, somebody was calling me and saying, well, what exactly did you mean by that? Because the Admiral's going to ask questions. In the wake of the article, sailors wrote letters to Navy Times editor praising the new McPond's courage and willingness to speak out. McPond Bushy's comments on the use of butter in Navy messes and a point paper he submitted to Commander Naval Supply Systems Command spurred a change to that portion of the Navy ration law, prohibiting the use of oleomargarine. Effective January 1st, 1991, General Messes began offering patrons a choice of butter or margarine. Alternate preparation methods to reduce frying including inclusion of fruit and potato service bars, more fish, poultry, fruit, and vegetable recipes are among the healthy choices offered to sailors today. The changes were all part of a Navy-wide program to enhance nutrition and weight control. Additionally, the instruction governing the Navy's health and physical fitness program was revised in 1990. OPNAV Instruction 6110.1 Delta did not change body fat or PRT standards, but established a requirement that officer fitness reports, as well as enlisted evaluations, contain an entry on physical condition. 
In a February 1990 Navy Times article, McPombushy applauded the change, saying that the new rules should help eliminate the enlisted resentment toward the program. In July 1990, Admiral Tross was relieved as CNO by Admiral Frank B. Kelso II, former Commander-in-Chief, U.S. Atlantic Fleet. As a participant in the ceremony held at Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, Bushy presented the flag to the outgoing CNO. On August 2, 1990, the all-volunteer force was handed its first major test. Iraqi troops and tanks invaded Kuwait and threatened to move into Saudi Arabia. Eight U.S. Navy Middle East Force ships were present in the Persian Gulf. On August 6, the Secretary of Defense received permission to send U.S. warships through the Suez Canal. Within days, the Navy began providing the ships, aircraft, and sailors that, along with other U.S. and Allied armed services, would become the task force for Desert Shield. By January 16, 1991, when Desert Shield became Desert Storm, the Navy had 108 ships and 60,000 personnel in the area. Three months after the beginning of Desert Storm, with the number of sailors involved in the operation increasing daily, Mick Bushy flew to the Persian Gulf area to visit with sailors aboard ships at personnel staging areas in fleet hospitals set up in the desert and with the Marines on the front lines. He heard problems about pay, supplies, the mail, advancement exams, and the lack of recreational outlets. But he also saw high morale everywhere he visited, sailors adapting to longer working hours and a difficult environment, and a heightened state of readiness. By the time he returned to Washington, the problems that he had reported back to his office by phone were well on their way to solutions or were already fixed. Throughout the force buildup and the hostilities, Bushy continued to travel around the fleet telling sailors at submarine base Bangor, Washington on the eve of Desert Storm that he had considered canceling his trip due to the war, but that he had decided it was important to come out and talk to sailors about continuing to work on the future. When the war ended, Bushy sent a congratulatory message to those who participated and to those who supported the effort. You validated our principles of training and leadership and our tradition of pride and professionalism, he said. As part of the combined effort by the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force, and Coast Guard, both active and reserve, you set new standards in cooperation, mutual respect, and commitment. Well done. So I told you it was going to be long, and actually it probably took... It took longer when I recorded it, and I actually went back and cut some stuff out because you probably would have clicked stop on this podcast. It was so long at the beginning, but a uh, really great article uh, that I just kind of stumbled upon about Bushy and I thought his loyalty to the sailors through his truth, through his willingness to be frank and to, to say what was on his mind and to challenge leadership in, in D.C. and elsewhere to affect positive change in the Navy kind of fit with the topic today of loyalty, and there was a couple of lines I emphasized in there uh, in the middle where it was, um, it kind of spoke directly to some of the things that I'm going to hit on when we talk about loyalty and loyalty is complicated. It's a selfless action and like a selfless choice. Uh, and junior sailors should understand loyalty and its application in naval service and leadership in order to best serve sailors. They lead work for and with. Okay. Uh, so loyalty as a topic is something I'm both passionate about and, and, and confused by and confused in that I see many selfish people claiming to be loyal and that doesn't work. It's not possible to be loyal to another person while having selfish motivations for doing so. Like they cancel each other out. You can't. You can be loyal to yourself, uh, which is essentially just being selfish. But you can't be loyal to someone else for your own personal gain. Uh, that's not loyalty. But it is pretty common. 
and I see it all the time, it's a misrepresentation of loyalty that's hurting sailors at all levels and hindering mission accomplishment as a result. And it's kind of maddening. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it today. Uh, first, real quick, just if you anybody needs anything from us at all, I'll hit this real quick. Just hit us up at don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can also Facebook message us. That's the most common way that people get a hold of us or uh, direct message us on Instagram at DGuts Podcast. Uh, so there's that. So let's get into this. So, so what is loyalty? I haven't used a, a dictionary definition in a while, but I thought it was important for this one. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to define what loyalty is. Uh, and it's faithful to one's oath, commitments, or obligations, faithful to any leader, party, or cause, or to any person or thing conceived as deserving fidelity, characterized by or showing faithfulness to commitments, vows, allegiance, obligations, etc. cetera. Uh, so I thought that middle part was especially important. Anything or any person that is conceived as deserving fidelity, that's loyalty. And so I want to relate that, what we just defined as loyalty, to what we do every day. Uh, it's important to process loyalty in relation to what we do on a daily basis, which is serve in the Navy. So how does it fit in, into naval service? Well, we practice it every day. For like From the very first day in the Navy, we practice loyalty. Uh, you become part of a team, a group of sailors at, at recruit training called a division. You develop relationships with those people. Uh, some become great friends. You develop that relationship and as a result, you become loyal on some level to that person as their friend. Uh, there are things you do for them that you wouldn't do for others. Uh, a stranger, for example, like you wouldn't do things that for a stranger that you would do for your friends. You would defend their, your friend's reputation uh, when they aren't around, speak up for them if they can help advance them in some way. Uh, you, you also develop loyalty to your service, which is our Navy. As we build pride in being part of the organization through its heritage, you develop pride in being known as a sailor and in wearing the uniform that we wear every day. And finally, you build a type of loyalty to your superiors. And at that point at the beginning, it's mainly out of fear and respect for the rank than any kind of relationship you have with the person. But that relationship will develop when you arrive to your permanent duty station with your direct supervisors through them building trust through loyalty. So the relation to naval leadership now, because first we were just talking about our service and now we're talking the relationship for naval leaders, loyalty is something you primarily cultivate as a leader. I practice the same forms of loyalty mentioned previously in my roles as a peer and a subordinate, right? Because I, I am that also. But as a leader, I want my people to be loyal to me. And when I say me, I really mean the team. And I'm going to define what, where I'm going with this here in a second. That's where the line is between good loyalty and bad loyalty. When we identify that as leaders, we're cultivating loyalty to a team whose goal is mission accomplishment, then we're doing it right. When we lose sight of the team and we get caught up in developing loyalty to us as individuals, to us personally, that can be dangerous. Loyalty for leaders can also be tough when as an individual leader you disagree passionately with the direction of the organization or, or the direction they've chosen. There are many times when our duty is to lead our team in a direction we don't believe in necessarily as an individual leader. Uh, loyalty to the mission and to the organization is what you often hear uh, called buy-in. So you have to buy in, like you just do. It, it, if it's not harming your sailors or mission accomplishment and you expressed your concerns, but the organization, the leaders chose another direction, then that just became your direction. That's what loyalty looks like in practice by leadership. 
So now I want to talk about types of loyalty. Okay, there's there's th different types. I kind of want to break this up into subcategories. And first, I want to talk about loyalty to seniors and the mission. I'm going to put those together in one. So loyalty to seniors and the mission is an important concept to understand. And I feel like maybe next to blind loyalty, which I'm going to talk about later, it, it's the most misunderstood. So loyalty to the unit's mission and specifically to senior leaders charged with its accomplishment is mischaracterized as kissing butt or subservient to the man or whatever, however you want to mischaracterize it. And this is a, an extremely narrow and immature point of view. Like we always say, think, be critical while being open-minded with your evaluation of leaders. So however, assuming you have done that, like you've, you've been critically evaluated your leader and identified them to be at, at the very least competent with your best interests at heart, then what sense does it make to battle that? What sense does it make? Leaders, like true leaders, only care about taking care of you. They only care about you. Taking care of you so that you can take care of the mission. And as we've also mentioned previously, if you're not contributing to those leaders' successes, you're literally working against yourself. Loyalty to that leader is you investing in their success, investing in successfully accomplishing the mission, which in turn allows that leader to successfully invest in you. Um, the last one I wanna break this into, or the, excuse me, the second to last one I wanna break this into is peers. So loyalty to peers are, are those that you work with on a daily basis, that's teamwork. Um, loyalty to peers in a peer group that you work with every day is simply distilled down to teamwork. This will be this, a small glimpse into a topic I plan to do next, which is, I'm going to call something the effect of your competition is not your problem. But loyalty to your peers is what you see when you see a high-functioning team. When you watch them work well together at a high level to accomplish the mission, you're watching loyalty to team members in action. It's helping others. It's going out of your way to ensure everyone has what they need. It's contributing in any way you can to the success of the team. Loyalty to subordinates is what inspires trust. Their trust is what inspires them to follow you. If you don't have that, they're not going to follow you. It's your responsibility as a leader, whether you like them or not, whether they are performing at a high or a low level, whether they absolutely make your blood boil or not, it's your responsibility as a leader to be loyal to your subordinates. It is. You just have to do it. To demonstrate loyalty to them regardless of what's happening. To do for them what they need. What they need, not necessarily what they want. What they need to develop and be taken care of as sailors, both personally and professionally, all the time. So now... I want to break off into blind loyalty, and this is one of the reasons why this topic was important to me, and, and everything else, while important, almost provides context to avoid this pitfall. So blind loyalty, I'm going to talk about what it is first, okay? So um, it's the really dangerous side of loyalty. I've, I've spoken why loyalty at all levels is important, but there's a negative side to everything, and the negative side of informed loyalty is blind loyalty. So blind loyalty is someone who is just loyal just because, like who's loyal to a mission or a leader because the mission or the leader said so, that doesn't understand why they're doing what they're doing, doesn't bother to question someone's motives or think for themselves. When someone is blindly loyal, for whatever reason, they will blindly and unquestioningly follow someone down any road. Uh, this is where hostile command climates come from. This is where bad apples come from. Uh, this is where almost every single NJP starts. This is where attrition in our Navy is born. Um, it's bad because when sailors at any level don't think, they don't use their brains and are blindly following a bad leader or a bad example from a peer subordinate, we're all failing. It, it's, it all comes back to that constant reiteration of just think. 
Like, think, damn it. Like, don't allow someone to make decisions for you. That's how you avoid it. Question everything. This can be really difficult. It can be scary. Like we talked about at the beginning in RTC, they they teach us to, to follow and they almost teach us to follow blindly at that stage. So it's hard to kind of develop this ability, uh, but you need to do it. You may have to question leadership. You may have to defy a policy. You may have to say uncomfortable things to leaders or groups of peers and subordinates, but blindly following because it's comfortable or easy is cowardice. It, it's absolute cowardice. You have to have the courage to stand up and ask questions, whether it's in your mind or of your leadership, ask questions. Push back if you need to. Get get clarification. Don't ever blindly follow anyone anywhere for any reason. Good leaders will tell you and then they'll show you. And good leaders will answer your questions. They'll inspire trust through loyalty to you. Now, disclaimer, this does not mean just start questioning everything and disobeying orders. And where I'm going with this is when you have the good leadership, the leadership that you've evaluated because you're smart, intelligent human beings with brains that work, when you look at these people and they've inspired trust through loyalty, that's not blind loyalty when you just follow their orders without openly questioning every single, every single thing they say to you because they've taken the time to build that trust through loyalty. When they don't and they're leading you down the wrong path, be it a leader or someone that's put themselves in the position of a leader just by being an influential peer or subordinate, that's when you get into hairy situations. That's where this becomes dangerous. That's the whole show for today. So conclusion time, and we're going to summarize all this up real quick. So we talked about what loyalty is and the different types of loyalty, right? And how it relates to naval leadership and service. And that all kind of provided context for the pitfalls of loyalty, which is is blind loyalty. And junior sailors should understand loyalty and its application in naval service and leadership in order to best serve the sailors that they work with every day, the ones they lead, the ones they work for, and the ones they work with. Loyalty can be easy or hard. Right? It can be comforting and it can be scary, uh, but you'll not have a high-functioning, mission-accomplishing group of just awesome team members that are killing it without loyalty. You just won't. Loyalty inspires trust, and trust inspires a group to follow a leader towards a common goal. Without it, the team's going to fail. It's critical to everything we endeavor to accomplish. And when it's absent in the process of be- or becoming absent, you need to open your mouth and say something. I'm in the midst of this right now, and that's why we're talking about it, because it's at the forefront of my mind, and I thought that I could provide some kind of context as I navigate a really messy situation. Like I'm in the midst of fighting to fix this in my world right now, and I'm not going to go into any kind of detail because I'm in the midst of it, and, and just because I don't think it's appropriate to, to go into any kind of real detail. But I'm having incredibly difficult conversations that will hopefully lead to what will be hard but necessary change. It's not something I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to fix it at my level. I I always want to fix it at my level. I wanted them to listen and get on board, um, to be loyal to their subordinates and to their team. But when I exhausted all of my options, I arrived at a moment where I had to, to decide. Decide whether or not I would bear the weight of my responsibilities and elevate it to the next level or not. And not would have been easy. It would have been comfortable, but it would have betrayed my team. It would have betrayed the loyalty I have to my team. And I can't do that. I'll never stop putting myself in positions if need be because it's my responsibility in these types of positions where I got to fight that battle. Um, It's my responsibility as it is yours. 
Um, so that's the episode for today on loyalty. Uh, as always with this or with anything, if you have questions, get a hold of us. Uh, you can shoot us an email at don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com or Facebook message us. That's the quickest way that everybody seems to use. Or you can direct message us on Instagram. We're at at DGUTS podcast. I really hope you got something out of this today. I know it was a long time coming. I apologize for the gap in episodes, but Hopefully content will be coming out pretty pretty regularly now. Like it's gonna be a pretty low key schedule for me as I approach my PCS date here in about four weeks and then I'll be on transfer leave where I can hopefully do a lot. Uh, I'm working on some cool projects right now. I don't know how long it's gonna take me because I'm not the most computer savvy guy on the planet, but uh, I'm working on a YouTube channel right now. I'm trying to do some uh, videos where I condense pieces of the podcast into more of like a training video that you guys might be able to use either at your commands or uh, just a condensed version that's shorter than the podcast where people can learn from it uh, and use it as a resource. And then I'm also going to try to put together some motivational videos. Uh, so hopefully I can do that uh, in some kind of time. I'm hoping during, during my transfer leave, I can uh, spend a lot of that time doing projects like that uh, and kind of expanding uh, the content base a little bit. Uh, and, and so I hope uh, that'll help everybody in any way that I can. Uh, I hope it'll help people develop. I hope it'll become a tool for you. Uh, to use anywhere uh, that it'll develop sailors. And if you got suggestions for us, as always, hit us up. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I hope you got something out of episode 21. And uh, we'll see you in about a week. And don't give up the ship. Peace.